and welcome to The Watcher's Diaries, a weekly podcast all about Buffy. I'm Mary. And I'm Froggy. And this week we're talking about season three, episode four, Beauty and the Beasts. Yes, we are. <sighs> so I feel like this is going to be one of those episodes with a lot to unpack. So yeah. I just have one announcement this week. Uh, a reminder that next week is our first book club episode of the season. So if you've got to start reading, listening, however you consume your literary media, now is a good time. And of course, we'll make sure the book is linked in this week's show notes. Um, I also do want to give a small warning that some of our discussion today will contain the topics of domestic abuse and alcoholism. So if those topics are triggering to you in any way, we totally understand and we will see you next week. Uh, But for those of you continuing on with us, let's get to it. Yes. So Beauty and the Beasts, it aired October 20th, 1998, and our synopsis is the gang fears Oz is behind a full moon murder, but Buffy ropes a suspect closer to heart. Meanwhile, a classmate's bow becomes monstrously abusive. <sighs> Sometimes I just don't know what to do with these descriptions. Yeah, yeah. I mean, and this-, this is accurate. It's just their wording. I'm like, okay. Yeah, okay. and this, this, week, this week is the... the- very special episode message is so blatantly obvious. It is blatantly obvious. Yeah. Blatantly. Yeah. And I oof, I have I have my like yes, we're gonna have a very serious discussion about that. But I also have my problems with what they compare it to because not comparable. Yeah. Because that was a whole different situation, which does tie into this episode in a way, but we'll we'll talk about the differences. Yes. Absolutely. Um, but first, uh, do we have any international titles? Most of them are some play on Beauty and the Beast. Okay. Except in German, they decided to go the other way and the other storyline of this and call it Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde. Yeah, see, that's that's where we're going to get into it later because yeah. that is not an accurate... It's not an accurate lineup at yeah, all. Yeah, yeah. But I mean, I understand why... They want to draw that comparison. I do like that in the German, it's just Dr. Jekyll und Mr. Hyde. Und Mr. Hyde. <laughs> Mr. Hyde. Oh, I do like that. Yes. I do like that. But yeah, everything everything else is some play on Beauty and the Beast. I, make, I mean, it makes sense. It's a, it's a very common thing. And like, it was a Disney movie. So I, I know a lot of, and I mean, it's been a story forever. So like a lot of languages would have yeah. that or something that would translate roughly to that. Although I do like, I do like in French, it does call it the beauties and the beasts. Oh, so it pluralizes both so of them. It does. It does pluralize. I just noticed that it, it pluralizes both of them, which that really does make sense for this episode. Yes, that's a way more accurate. Yes. I like that. Yes. Way to go, French. So again, no previously on, we go right in, Buffy giving us a voiceover as we move through the woods. Her voiceover, which soon melds and is taken over by Willow, is actually a passage from Call of the Wild, which she is reading to a caged Oz in the library. She decides to skip the passage about bunnies, though, as it seems too exciting for the werewolf. As she is working to find a new passage, Sergeant Harris arrives, reporting (laughs) for Oz duty. I do... Love that we continue to see Xander retain and use the military knowledge and military speak from Halloween. Yes, I I really do like how he's embraced what he had going on in his head 
from that episode. And it's also a really good continuity. It is. He takes the book from her, noticing the title, and says, aren't they reading the cliff notes of that for English? (laughs) Some of them are. She says it will help him stay awake, and that Oz seems to like it. It's very wolfy. Just avoid the passages about rabbits. Do they even use cliff notes these days like what do i guess the kids just go on wikipedia probably i mean i know spark notes has a website and a twitter yeah. account so yeah i'm sure but yeah i'm sure a lot of people just go on wikipedia yeah <laughs> remember kids we didn't have the internet well we had the internet but we didn't have these websites that you have today no you have it so easy <laughs> Even though she's pulled Xander away from the cage and lowered her voice, Oz still seems to hear and challenges the bars. Willow then explains how the bunnies seem to overexcite him. She tells Xander that he's had his 2 a.m. feeding, and if he forgets where his clothes are come morning, they're on top of the filing cabinet. She put the towels up for privacy. (laughs) It's cool. Xander can handle the Oz full Monty. Well, not handle handle like hands to flesh but you know oh xander willow says he might not need the towels but she does she's still getting used to the half monty half (laughs) or in oz which half (laughs) with a wouldn't you like to know willow picks up her bag and the tranquilizer gun he's calmer tonight than on the third night but tomorrow the true full moon watch out She wouldn't even ask him to stay, but she has a test and Sandra says it's fine. Taking the gun, he tells her that he has his coffee, his magazines. He might read a little, even run the stairs. All of this he says while gesturing with said gun, which makes Willow take it away and lay it on the back table. (laughs) Even with all that military knowledge, we still don't trust him. She tells Oz bye and heads out, leaving Xander alone. Xander immediately stretches out on the table and lays his head atop the book. Xander, you had one job. Yeah, but later on, other people have one job and they don't get yelled at for it. We're going to talk about that later. To be fair, he didn't even try. No, he didn't even try. At least everybody else... You know, it, falling asleep on the job is one thing, but he literally just laid down on the table. He didn't even attempt to stay awake. Oh, this is true. Oh, Xander. Yeah. So Call of the Wild is an adventure novel written by Jack London in 1903. It is extremely thematic to this oh, episode. It. This is another one of those things where it hits you over the head. It revolves around a dog, Buck, and how while out in the Yukon, in the wilderness, he begins to shed his ideas of domesticity and civilization, and he becomes more and more wild. And so this episode, dealing with the whole man versus beast, nature versus nurture, duality kind of thing, it is it is a really good fit. It is, and, yes. Um, like it's, I think it's a way better fit than the Jekyll and Hyde analogy. Like I said, I know why they yeah. are doing that. And we'll talk about that a lot later. But yeah, Call of the Wild is a really, it is really good thematically for this yes. episode. Yeah, it, it's, it is. It really is. And yeah, even calling it Call of the Wild would have been a good. Yeah. So then the full Monty. <laughs> <laughs> The Full Monty refers to a 1997 British comedy film set in Sheffield, the home of Sean Bean. Yay. And it's about six out-of-work friends, four of them former steelworkers, who decide to make some money by creating a striptease show. A show they claim will be better than Chippendales as they will go the Full Monty. 
meaning they will like strip entirely, which most, you know, striptease shows don't do. And then in 2000, the movie was made into a musical. It's wacky. It's delightful. Uh, Mark Addy is in the movie. I love it. It's just, it's like, you can't, you again, because this is a audio media, you can't see me and Mary just absolutely grinning as we're we're thinking about this, like, especially the movie, the original movie is just the it's original movie so is delightful. Scary. It's just and it's the best part about this movie is you have a group of men of all different body types. Yeah, like they've got dad bods and they, they're like, doing this and it's fantastic. Like, you have one who is like absolute string bean string pole. You have Mark Addy. It's just like every this is just every man. And and later on, the women go absolutely absolutely wild Mm -hmm. because you are seeing all different body types and they do have moments of I can't do this what you know Mark Addy has a moment where you know he's trying to slim down and trying to be that body type but it's it is delightful and if you haven't seen it please go watch it because it is it's so it's so good. I need to watch it again. It's been a minute. It has. It really has. In the cemetery, Faith and Buffy patrol. Faith saying it's a pretty cool place. She ever catch kids doing it out there? No. There's a makeup spot up by the woods. Bad decision corner. Yes, we 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 all know about bad decision corner. And even though bad things have happened at bad decision corner, people kids, keep going. They keep going. Everyone tends to go out there. Faith bet she and Scott have been putting in some good hours up there. Hardly. They've only been on a few dates. But she likes them, right? Thinking of them gives her that down low tickle. How low? <laughs> Faith says that's for Buffy to tell her. Yeah, not happening. But Scott is nice and thoughtful and quite a muffin. Blueberry with the crunchy munchy stuff on top. But her favorite thing is that so far, he doesn't seem to be a hell beast. Yes. Faith tells her all men are beasts. Buffy was hoping not to get that cynical until she was at least 40. It's not cynical. It's realistic. Every guy from Manimal down to Mr. I Love the English Patient has a beast (laughs) in him. Doesn't matter how sensitive they act, they're all still in it for the chase. Which is when we get an actual chase. Some guy running through the woods, pursued by an assailant we don't see. He's doing okay, managing to stay ahead until he trips. That's when whatever it is grabs him and drags him off. Okay. (laughs) So, manimal. Manimal. (laughs) (laughs) It's a 1983 television show that I believe only ran for one season, and I'm not surprised by that. Yeah, it ran from September 30th to December 17th, 1983. So it was not on that long. (laughs) About Jonathan Chase, a shapeshifter (laughs) who can change into any animal. And he uses this ability to help the police solve crimes. Oh, man. I I had to go look up the opening credits to this show because reasons. Yeah. And when I tell you, (laughs) they are the most 80s thing I have ever seen. I will I will try to remember to throw a link to the YouTube video up on our yes. like, Twitter because it's it's ridiculous and I love it, it and has, I need to yes. find out where the show is streaming so I can watch it. It is it is just it is so good. And well the best like the best part of the best part about Manimal is like it was created by Glenn A. Larson. Yes. Who created so many good tv shows like Mm -hmm. 
you know, he is known he is known for for so much. I mean, he did Battlestar Galactica. Yes. But Manimal. <laughs> I can't. I can't I, with animal. I, I just, and like, so what he has the ability to change himself into any animal, he would transform into a hawk and a black panther in nearly every episode. Yes, the hawk and the black panther are featured prominently in the opening credits. Sometimes he would transform into a third animal, such as a horse, dolphin, bear, or bull. With the transformation taking place off screen, though once he was shown becoming a snake. Like, it is... And and everything and again like it was created like all of that stuff was created by Stan Winston who is a well-known makeup effects creator. Mm-hmm. So you have all of these great creatives but it just didn't work. No. <laughs> oh, oh and he and the best part is when he transforms back into a human his clothing is perfectly fine. Oh, of course. Of course. <laughs> of course. It's fine. It's, it's fine. fine. Oh, my God. So then in contrast, we have the English Patience, <laughs> which is this 1996 epic romantic war drama based oh, on a 1992 God. novel in which a patient who is English, of course, and burnt beyond recognition, tells his story to the nurse attending to him in a military hospital. It's apparently lovely and beautiful. I will admit I've never seen it. I don't really have any plans to. It is boring as fuck. Okay, it's boring as fuck. And this <laughs> is coming this is coming from somebody who really does like that genre of movie. Yeah, like we we love period stuff. We love it, Downton. We I'm you know, <sighs> but yeah, apparently it's just not that good. And I've and I and I even read and I read the novel too. Just because I watched the movie and the movie was boring and I read the novel then and the novel is boring. It really oh, is. Everything's not, boring. It's it's boring. Oh, like, but oh. yeah, it's a contrast between Manimal and the. Yeah, like they just they managed to <laughs> they find did. things on like two separate ends of the spectrum here. Oh, my God. We're on a roll today. <laughs> we, are, we are. We are doing good today. Credits. Still awesome. Yep. We return from the credits to Sunnydale High, where Willow isn't sure she believes Faith's philosophy. Buffy agrees. It is kind of an overgeneralization. From off to the side, Buffy hears her name being called, and so turns to see Scott coming towards her, followed more slowly by Debbie and her boyfriend, Pete. Scott says he pretty much stopped Buffy just to say, hey, and she hates him back as Oz says hi to Debbie. Debbie's surprised Oz is not doing jazz band this year. He says, yeah, no, but not because of the music. Oh no, it was because of the marching. They have a marching jazz band? They do. But since the best jazz is improvisational, well, they kept going off on all directions, banging into floats. Willow says he's just being Oz. Pretty much full time. (laughs) He then notices the flowers Debbie is holding and says they're pretty. And Debbie tells her that Pete got them for her. Yeah, Pete's sure Scott does stuff like that all the time too. Scott says they're not up to flowers, right? Are they up to flowers? Did he miss flowers? Nope. Buffy confirms that they are pre-posy. She then checks his watch. She's got to run. She has an appointment with Mr. Platt. Platt? The guidance counselor? Yeah, Buffy has to prove she is a sane individual so she can stay in school. Debbie says that guy creeps her out. She totally stopped seeing him, but she's flunking senior bio. And so her teacher thinks she has success issues. (laughs) Senior bio. I'll ace that final. And how did he do that, Willow asks. Oh, yeah, he showed up. (laughs) Oz tells Debbie if she wants his notes, they're hers. Really? Because that would be great. Kissing Scott goodbye, Buffy heads off. A moment later, so do Oz and Willow. Pete and Debbie. Pete is played by John Patrick White. 
While Debbie is played by Danielle Weeks. Funny thing is, along with being on this episode of Buffy together, they were also both on the show Bone Chillers pre-Buffy, and they have both guest starred on sitcoms like Unhappily Ever After and Third Rock from the Sun. I've never seen Bone Chillers. I have not either, but now I'm gonna have to look it up. Yeah. Oh, and she's she's been on she's been on How I Met Your Mother, Cougar Town, Will and Grace. Good for her. Yeah, she's done a lot. In the library, Giles and Xander are in a bit of a panic. Giles saying something about checking all possible points of exit, and Xander telling him that there's no point, that he was there all night. Oz and Willow come in, Willow asking if there's something going on. What? Going on? No. Nothing's going on. Oz tells Giles that poker? Not his game. Giles then admits that if something were going on, well, it would be murder. A student, (laughs) a boy, was found dead up by the woods. Jeff Walken. Jeff? Oz says that he knew him. Giles continues, the body, it was severely mauled. And while Giles is not saying that this is the case, it does seem like it could be the handiwork of me. Oz finishes the sentence. No, wolf him, not him him. Again, Sander says it's impossible. The room was secure, the cage was locked, and the window... Okay, so it looks like the window was open, but he only rested his eyes every now and then, so Xander said the exact wrong thing there. Yep. And it immediately activates angry dad mode in Giles. Mm-hmm. How long exactly did he rest his eyes for? Uh, well, a little now, and then a little then, but he never heard Oz leave, and he was definitely there in the morning when he, well, when he... Woke up? <laughs> Giles is pissed. Giles is mad. Oh. Pissed. And, and Xander says, yeah, he could put it that way, Mr. Technical. Oz looks absolutely stricken by the idea he could have hurt someone. And Willow mutters a small, small, oh God, as she holds her hand out for his. Elsewhere, Buffy enters the guidance office where Mr. Platt spits, sits smoking and facing his window. Oh, the 90s when oh, you could smoke I, inside and no one said anything about it. I uh, just, it was a, it was a wild time. Though I do feel like smoking inside a school was still out of the norm. Yeah, because he does, he like, he, he sprays to like try to get rid of the, the smell of it at some yeah. point. Like. During this meeting. We had one or two teachers in high school that were chain smokers, and I never knew them to smoke in their office. They always went out to the staff parking lot. Yeah, I think this is this is just to set up for later on down the road. Yeah, absolutely. Anyway, 2 p.m., Buffy Summers. She says she's reporting for sanity before saying she knows she has to do this, and that's fine. She'll cooperate, look at Inkblot, say whatever he wants her to say, but she doesn't really want to talk about her life, and she's not looking to be friends. That's good. Because he doesn't want to be her friend. She has friends, he hopes. Friends are good. They like you. Tell you what you want to hear. Agree with you. But that's not what she needs right now. What she needs is a trained, not too crazy, professional who will give her his honest opinion. Not too crazy? He comes around to lean on the desk. Anyone. Doesn't matter if they're a friend, teacher, whatever. Anyone who says they're completely sane, completely put together, they're lying. No one has it all together. Everyone has demons. <laughs> Buffy says she sees him there. Yeah. <laughs> Buffy's like, yeah, yeah, mine are a little more literal. So the hope he's bringing Buffy is demons can be fought. People can change. She can change. So how about they start with her? Why did she run away? She says it's kind of a long story for him. She's over it, really. She's feeling good. She's even dating someone new. And that's great. 
all good things. But she's kind of bringing him in at the end of the story. She was dating someone. It ended badly. Her mom and her were fighting and she kind of freaked. Tell him more about this guy. The bad ending guy. For a moment, Buffy just sits there and then she says he was her first. That she loved him, but he changed. Yeah, he got mean. Yeah, but she still loved him anyway. A lot of people get lost in love. It's a common thing. So common they write songs about it. (laughs) But you can't stay lost. Sooner or later, you have to find yourself again. And if you can't, okay, I love this. We're going to talk about this in just a second. Well, love becomes your master and you're just its dog. We are going to see this sentiment again, Mm -hmm. but we're going to see it from the opposite side. Because the absolute first thing I thought about when I heard that speech or I heard that line was Spike's speech in Lover's Walk. And the, I may be love's bitch, but at least I'm man enough to admit it. Yep. Clat and Spike say the same exact thing, but come at it from opposite ends with opposite attitudes. Yep. And I love that. I love it. I I love it. And I love Platt. Yes, Platt is amazing. He's played by Phil Lewis, who to me will always be Mr. Mosby. Yes. (laughs) From The Sweet Life of Zack and Cody. Yes. But yes, Platt is great. I wish wish we had seen more of him. We're going to talk about why we don't in a little bit and the continual pattern that that is a part of. Yep. But I love Platt. I love Platt. And again, I just, I love, I love this parallel. And I love that we're just Oh, it's so yeah. good. Yeah. I wish we would have had more episodes with Platt before this one. Yes. Yeah. I really, yeah. I wish they had set up her seeing him or like move this down an episode or two. Yeah. Yeah. So we yep. could have a little bit more time with him. Yep. From there, we go back to the library where Buffy enters to find everyone looking rather solemn. So solemn, she's afraid to ask. As ate someone. <laughs> Cordelia is the first to offer up an explanation. Oh, Cordy. He did not. Willow rushes to his defense. Xander says Oz doesn't eat people. It's more werewolf play. Bats them around a bit like a cat toy. Is it Oz's fault his claws are razor sharp? And yeah, he might take a nibble, but he's not helping, is he? Oz looks absolutely sick at the thought of this. And Giles says very sternly that no, (laughs) Xander is not helping. (laughs) You know, like, I know it's just, it happened on the full moon, so... The t- it, with the timing, but we have lived on the Hellmouth long enough to know that yeah. there are other things out there. This is true. This is true. Like, I get that we're doing this for drama yes. and build up and because we, we don't know what's going to happen, but there's other shit going on. Yeah, we got to go with the theme. Yes. Because... You know, we are... We're doing something. We're doing something. Like, we're presented with basically three different guys here. And it's going back to it's going back to what Faith said at the beginning. Yeah, so we we have I mean Xander's there, but we have three guys that this episode really centers around. We have Angel, we have Oz, and we have Pete. Yeah, Xander's the most normal person, Xander the most is, normal guy. He is, and he's not on our list of suspects. No. No, Xander hasn't Xander, Xander is very rarely on our list of suspects. He is rarely on our list of suspects. Good for him. Good for him. I mean, he's on the list of idiots that may have caused something <laughs> to happen. So he's on our list of accomplices. Accomplices, yes. People but not who, suspects. People who aided and abetted. Um, so the thing is, we have Angel, Oz, and Pete. And Angel obviously has this demon inside of him because he's a vampire. Oz has this literal animal inside of him because he's a werewolf 
And then we're going to see what Pete Steele is. So it it is a really good lineup of guys that we're using in conjunction with this theme of inside of everyone. I mean, they're saying men, but technically yes, inside everyone. of everyone, there is this ability to give into a more wild side of your nature. Yeah. I've, one of the things that I really love about this show is that they made somebody like Oz, who is the most chill human being on the face of the planet into the creature that that breaks out you know that he has yeah. no that he has no control over nope this person who is so controlled in his daily life yeah and i feel for him so much because he is so chill and laid back mm-hmm. just how freaked out he gets at the idea that even though he has no control over it freaked out that he could hurt somebody I know. Poor Oz. Poor baby. He tells Buffy that Oz may have gotten out of his cage last night. Or, Oz points out, there could be another werewolf roaming the woods. Giles says that it's possible. It could be something else entirely. Okay, well, whatever it is, they'll work together and figure it out. Giles tells Buffy to take patrol and see if she can find anything. The others should head to the morgue. Right. Because they can find out if it matches a werewolf attack. But what about Oz? Giles says he has some research materials to look over. Maybe they could ask Faith? Okay, again, I know this is for dramatic effect, Mm -hmm. but if Giles is going to be looking over research materials, why wouldn't he just be in the library library. where Oz is? Where all of his research materials live. Like, I know, I think he says it's something at home. Yeah, yeah. But, like, Buffy could have waited to go on patrol while he went and got his shit. Exactly. And brought it back. But, okay, drama. We're doing it for drama. drama. Yes. So they're having a Slayer watch him. Well, good thing no one is overreacting. Standing Oz starts to leave. Willow begins to follow and Oz says, you know that thing where you bail in the middle of an upsetting conversation? Well, this is that. And he knows it's dramatic, but sometimes it's necessary. It's a guy thing. Willow wants him to do the guy thing. She does. It's just, well, time. Looking at the clock, Oz sees it's almost sundown and so heads for the cage, shutting himself in and telling Willow to get away. What? It's going to happen soon. She needs to get away from the cage and him. Poor baby. In the woods... Buffy patrols stake in hand. We see something move in the brush, but she doesn't. At least not at first. When she does catch sight of it, she gives chase. Catching up to it, we see that the mysterious creature in the woods is Angel. Ooh. Well, one of them. One of the mysterious creatures <laughs> in the woods is Angel. <laughs> yeah. Half naked and with blood around his mouth. He looks to Buffy, but appears not to recognize her as he immediately charges for her. They fight struggling until Buffy manages to knock him unconscious. Confused and slightly horrified, she stares at his prone form. The rest of the Scooby gang is at the morgue. Willow and her Scooby-Doo lunch <laughs> off to examine the body. She pulls out tweezers in a plastic bag as Xander and then Cordelia come in, Cordelia actually surprising the pair and causing Xander to tell her that you don't <laughs> sneak up on people during crime. I love, we're doing crime. You don't sneak up during crime. While Willow seems to be holding steadfast, the other two are sufficiently grossed out. However, once she's done gathering samples from under the fingernails, along with a few stray hairs, Willow also passes out. Something Xander and Cordelia take to mean this doesn't look good for Oz. Whatever attacked Jeff was a wild animal. Which is the perfect segue to the mansion. Buffy throws Drew's dolls off a trunk and opens it to reveal chains. (laughs) Kinky. Of course. Are we surprised? We're not surprised she and Spike had chains. No. She would chain Spike up and he would say thank you. (laughs) Grabbing said chain, she loops him through a sconce on the wall, chaining Angel up. He comes to, snarling and thrashing, but she does her best to keep her distance. That's when she notices the mark on the floor. 
a burn mark with the perfect outline of Angel curled into a fetus position in the middle. When he reappeared, he was naked, right? Yes. Okay. So yeah, he had enough sense to, to put, put on pants, pants. Yes. and shoes. Yes. <laughs> so yeah, I'm not really sure how that worked, but I it's know. fine. We, we know it's just for... Production, for, yeah, for priority's sake, they can't, yeah, have, can't yeah, have angel butt all over prime time. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it was one thing to just have him naked when he reappeared, but yes, he did have enough sense to put on pants and shoes at least. Angel isn't the only one riled up. Oz growls from behind the door of his cage, watching as Faith dances around to whatever is playing <laughs> on her disc man. I mean, at least she's awake. At least she is awake. Buffy enters the library, surprising her, and Faith whirls around, <laughs> hitting her in the face. It's something she immediately feels guilty about. Buffy, what's she doing there? Bleeding internally. <laughs> but it's fine. She'll recover. Faith says she didn't hear her. And Buffy says she figures. She's actually here to relieve Faith. Really? How come? Couldn't sleep. And she figured that as long as she was up, might as well cram for a French test. Awesome. Because Faith was going a little stir crazy. But hey, this way she can fit in a few stakings before sunrise. She hands Buffy the keys and heads out, Buffy immediately going to the card catalog. Come the next morning, Giles enters to find Oz asleep in his cage and Buffy asleep in the stacks, curled up in the chair where she had been reading. Nurse doesn't yell at Buffy for falling asleep on the job. Yes, but But like I said, at least Buffy was making an effort to... That's fair. Like, she's, she's sitting there with a book open on her lap, so that's obvious... That she was doing something when she fell asleep. They knew Xander just went to sleep. Yeah, okay, that's they true. Knew, they knew Z- They know Xander. As he approaches, Buffy wakes with a, hey. Giles goes to see what she had been reading, and Buffy blames the stack on Faith. Faith and her many books. <laughs> Exploring demon dimensions, mysteries of Akathla. Yep, and she still listens to heavy metal. Giles isn't buying it. He says her name, and Buffy says, what if, what if she had a dream about Angel? Giles remarks it must have been some dream. He didn't think she even knew what a card index was. She tells him that she dreamt he came back. Giles gets it. After after Jenny died, he had several dreams. Dreams in which she was still alive, in which he saved her. I love this. It makes my heart hurt. Because again, this is a sentiment we will see echoed later. Yep. After the gift where Spike tells Buffy that every night he saves her. Mm-hmm. And I'm just like, let's just break break my heart. It's okay. I know. I know. Watch a show about a teenage vampire slayer, they said. It'll be fun, they said. She says, but yeah, this was really vivid. Technicolor, surround sound, the hills are alive vivid. Does she think it could be a prophecy? She's not sure, but it made her wonder, is there a chance? Could it happen? Giles has never heard of anyone returning from a demon dimension once the gate has been closed. He has no idea if it's possible or even what could cause such a thing. Okay, but say he did make it back to Sunnydale. What would he be like? From all accounts, that dimension is a place of unspeakable torment. And time moves differently there, so Angel, he would have been there for hundreds of years. Hundreds of years of torture. It would take someone of immense willing character to survive that and retain any semblance of self. Chances are he'd be a monster. A lost cause. Giles says in his experience, there are two kinds of monsters. Those who can be redeemed, or more importantly, want to, and the second type. They're completely devoid of humanity and cannot respond to reason or love. As Buffy stands there taking this all in, Willow arrives with donuts. (laughs) She thought Faith was on duty. Change of plans. She offers her the box, glazed or caked. It's really fun to watch them make them. They take this spritzy thing and dump them. She couldn't sleep either, huh? (laughs) She's been at Mr. Donut since the TV started doing that fuzzy thing. 
So why couldn't she sleep? This time it isn't her boyfriend who's the cold-blooded. Buffy motions over Willow's shoulder to where Oz, now dressed, is emerging from the cage. Jelly Donut? Buffy asks what happened at the morgue, and Willow just keeps offering up donuts. (laughs) They're fresh. Buffy tells her to come on. Was it a werewolf? Was it a vampire? Willow says it was inconclusive. Inconclusive? How could it be inconclusive? Was he bit? Giles tells Buffy to let her finish, and Buffy, she apologizes before heading out. We next see her in the cafeteria, plate in hand, as she takes a seat with Scott, Debbie, and Pete. Scott tells her that he can't back her lunch, as her lunch is just a plate of all different kinds of jello. Buffy tries to point out there's fruit in it, but Scott tells her (laughs) those are marshmallows. She apologizes and says she's a little out of it, didn't sleep well. Debbie warns her not to tell Platt that, or else he'll make her start a dream journal. Dream journal? Pete smirks. What's that? Like a Barbie thing? (laughs) Dear dream journal, why hasn't Ken been around ever since he got that earring? (laughs) Buffy says she kind of likes him. Really? Well, I guess he's okay. She just doesn't like the things he says sometimes. Anyone notice how interested Pete looks in that comment? Uh Uh-huh. Buffy says he definitely marches to the beat of his own drummer. Actually, she's pretty sure he makes his own drums. Scott says his mom says therapy can be helpful. Pete says Scott's mom has the wattage of a Zippo lighter. Oof. Oh, Pete. Pete, Pete, gotta bring it down. That's when Scott tells Buffy he doesn't actually know these people. (laughs) (laughs) He just thought she would like him better if he had friends, so he hired them. I love love Scott's comment there. Yeah. Turning to her, he tells her that he wanted to tell her she looks great today. But now, knowing she didn't sleep, he's upgrading that to amazing. Scott! Uh, I had such high hopes for you, Scott. I know, I know. We were rooting for you, Scott. Like, why is it that every love interest on this show, except Spike, is a major disappointment? I know. I mean, you know what you're getting with Spike. You do know what you're getting with Spike. I know. But, like, why are all the human men such dicks? I don't know. And we we see this, like, poor Buffy. Like, Buffy just knows how to pick them. Oh, poor Buffy. I mean, and you. And the thing is, it's like, you can't blame Willow then for just deciding that she was done with men after. Nope. I mean, how many how many times have I said, if something happens to Mr. Frog, I am, I am done with men. Exactly. Buffy thanks him and says she really wishes she didn't have to go, but she does. As she heads off, Pete watches. Look at Scotty, liking the manic depressive chick. Wow, Pete. Way to be a dick. Also, the whole time I was writing these notes and they called him Scotty, I just wanted to start singing Scotty. Scotty doesn't know. know. (laughs) Yeah. It's like, Scotty doesn't know. Yeah. Yeah. Don't tell Scotty. At the mansion, Buffy goes to check on Angel, see if there's any improvement. He's still huddled in his chains. And Buffy asks if he can understand her as she approaches. There's no answer. And when she goes to touch him, he snarls and pulls away. She immediately leaves, not noticing that the sconce Angel's chains are on are ever so slightly starting to pull away from the wall. Yeah, that you, you probably should have found a better place to chain him up. Yeah. Back at Sunnydale High, we follow Pete and Debbie as they duck into a utility shed for a little makeout sesh. A utility shed in which Pete seems to have a super secret chemistry lab. <laughs> Because on the shelf behind them is a mason jar, the remnants of a neon green liquid inside. Seeing it, Pete asks Debbie if she drank it. She didn't, did she? No, of course not. Buffy enters the guidance office, announcing herself with two o'clock, Buffy Summers. She then asks Platt not to turn around. That she needs to say something, to tell him something, because there is something going on. And while this story just might end up convincing him she's Looney Tunes, she has no one else to talk to. Not Willow, not Giles, nobody. 
if they found out, they'd freak on her or do something. And she needs help, needs to talk to someone. She's so scared. It's this guy. He, stopping mid-sentence, Buffy looks down, down at the cigarette in Platt's hand. One that had clearly been burning for a long time, never being ashed. It's then that she realizes Platt is dead. We see his mauled face as Buffy grimly declares... He's come back. This scene breaks my heart. Every damn time. Because here's Buffy seeking out an adult she trusts, Mm -hmm. asking for help, and unable to get it. Yep. Having this person ripped from her life, like Merrick and Dr. Gregory, Flutie, it seems anytime an adult who is not Giles or her mother believes in her or is there to help her, they're taken away from her. Okay. And in a really bad, they're they're just straight up murdered. Yeah. I just, I want to hug Buffy so much right now. Yeah. And at this point, at this point, he is the seventh member of the staff at Sunnydale to die. Yep. Now, you know, we're going to lose a few more in a little bit. We go back to the shed and Debbie and Pete. Pete's still asking Debbie about the jar. So what? It jumped off the cabinet and spilled itself? No, of course not. She poured it out to help him. Help him? Yeah, because he knows how he gets when he drinks it. When he drinks it, nothing. Nothing. Because he doesn't need it anymore. He surpassed it. And he demonstrates this by beginning to smash the vials containing the ingredients, knocking to the floor, throwing them against the wall. She could pour out every last thing and it wouldn't matter. Does she know why? Advancing on her, he grabs her arms. Because all it takes is her. Her and her annoying, grating voice. (sighs) A change comes over him then, muscles pulsing, limbs convulsing, until he physically changes into something other. Veiny, red, angry. He tells her that she's the reason he started the formula in the first place, to be man enough for her. And how does she repay him? By whoring around with other guys and taunting him with it. She tells him that's not true. He doesn't want to hear it. He strikes her, cutting her face and sending her to the ground. Piece of shit. As she scurries to get away with him, he taunts her about Platt, telling her that not even he is going to listen to her pathetic whining anymore. That he's all she's got. Does she hear that? He's all she's got. She sits back against the box crying and Pete stops, beginning to deflate. As he returns to normal, he goes to her, telling her that she knows how he gets. He lays his head on her and she wraps her arms around him, telling him that it's okay. It's okay. No! No, no it is not, not okay. okay. Not okay at all, Debbie. All right. So clearly there is a ton to unpack in the scene. Um, a slight allusions to Jekyll and Hyde, but I'll talk about that in a second. Alcoholism, abuse, gaslighting. Uh, the allusion to Jekyll and Hyde is murky at best. Yeah, there's a formula. Yeah, he changes. But there's no idea of experimentation. There's no searching for anything. He's not trying to discern the parts of himself. He just wants to make himself better, more manly. And so it's more akin to going back to like Go Fish and the steroids. You know what? This is a guy. This is a guy that read Jekyll and Hyde in an English class and decided that he was going to do this bullshit. Like it wasn't like that's how it feels to me. This is a dude, bro. Yes. Who reads something once and makes it his entire personality. I can see that. I can yeah. see that. Also, can we talk about this apparently secret chemistry lab? Right? Like what the what the fuck? Like why? How is no 
janitor stop why don't it's sunnydale it's, and, why are we even asking questions and again like again like we we have the explanation of him figuring all this shit out because it's the hell mouth but like yeah his his secret formula is just was just sitting there and i like how she dumped it out but there was still enough for, like she left the jar she didn't she, like yeah. you know, wash the jar out or whatever yeah like enough was left that he wouldn't but like it was just apparently sitting out yeah of course of course yeah we 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 again it's the hellmouth everything people are just willfully blind so yeah so like i said this is this is a little bit more akin to steroids steroids mixed with alcoholism because the whole bit about the drinking and how he gets and the pouring it out that is straight up word for word yes someone who's trying to deal with an alcoholic spouse or a family member like mm-hmm. they they are not even trying to hide the analogy oh, yeah. here. That's that's completely, that's 100% there. And then you have the whole idea of the abuse and the classic gaslighting mm-hmm. line of why do you make me do exactly. this? Exactly, exactly. Because according to Pete, this is all Debbie's fault. Yeah, and Debbie was doing, Debbie was doing something that she thought would help him. Again, yeah. like everybody who has dealt with an alcoholic partner has tried dumping everything yeah. to try to, to do it. And, and I mean- and it's yeah. even more than that, because like, yes, he's he that is the trigger this time. But the whole thing he tells Debbie is that like he made this formula because of Debbie. Debbie is the reason he gets mad. Yes. Debbie is the reason he gets jealous. He killed these people because I think it's safe to say we all know where this episode is going. Yep. Because of Debbie. Yep. And then he turns around and tells her that he is all she has. Yeah. And, yeah. I and just, that's and that's ugh. that's completely and that's it's all textbook isolating oh it is i mean it is textbook isolation it is textbook gaslighting it is textbook sociopathic narcissistic behavior yeah the whole time i was i was typing up these notes i all i could think about i'm gonna keep this very vague because i do not know who listens to this um g and i have a friend and she had an ex-boyfriend and they were years after they were apart he would just call her up occasionally and basically be like nobody would love you like i like i have never wanted to hit someone with a car yeah. As much as I've wanted to hit this asshole with a car. Yeah. Because he pulled this gaslighting crap all the time. Yeah. And just, oh, yeah. Uh, but yeah, this is, this is textbook and, and we're going to, we're going to see a little, it. Yeah. We're going to talk a little bit more about it as we go on because Debbie's response to everything is also very textbook. Yeah. And I just like, and it's also a shame too, because it seemed like she really was getting a lot out of Platt's yeah. Meetings. And again, Buffy lost somebody that she taught that she could talk to and Debbie lost somebody that she could talk to. And unfortunately, you know, we see what's going to happen to Debbie. Yeah. But, you know, she was and and I do like when when they deal with stuff like this, because you forget that this can happen in high school, too. Yeah. Girls, you know, like people in relationships go through the same things that adults go through. And they're, they don't even, they don't, just like adults, they don't know what to do when they're in this situation. And again, especially when somebody is feeding you all of the classic lines that Pete was doing with Debbie. Mm-hmm. And and this poor girl, like she obviously didn't have the best self-esteem and he no. just made it worse and made it feel like she 
Justice for Debbie. Justice for Debbie. Justice for Debbie. And of course, like we do with with all these episodes, we will we'll link some resources and put some resources in our social media this week about anyone who may be dealing with these sort of issues. Watch a teenage vampire slayer, they said. Right? The movie tricked <sighs> us. The movie made us think it was going to be all like Paul Rubens dying for 20 minutes. Yeah. And then we yeah. like show up and this is what we get. Yes. But hey, it's it's. Again, we talk about how it's a interesting and it's a good way to deal with all these. It is. These things. I just would like to not cry when watching the silly vampire TV show. Eh, not going to happen. No. No, no, because there's going to be tears. Oh, so many more tears are coming. So many more tears. We're only in season three. We then go back to the library where Giles is telling Buffy, Faith, and Willow about how this creature is particularly brutal. How the phrase used by the coroner to describe Platt's body was pureed. Which really doesn't fit with what we saw, but okay. Pureed and pureed? Yeah, like that would tell me there'd be like a little lump of unidentifiable meat left. Was he put in a blender? Yes, he was put in a blender. (laughs) He also says that the coroner confirmed that Platt was killed shortly before Buffy found him. So during the day. Willow cheers and everyone turns to look at her as she starts backtracking because no, (laughs) awful! But Buffy says it's okay. They're all glad Oz is off the hook. Speaking of which, shouldn't he be there by now? Sundown is at 5.30. Oz is making his way towards the library giving a bit of a mosey, while also waiting for Debbie to show up. She runs in, hair covering one half of her face, and apologizes for being late. Oz asks if she's okay, and she says, yeah, just, you know, clumsy. She fell and hit her eye. Doorknob, the oldest excuse in the book. Yep, yep. Oz hands her the notes, and she thanks him. She starts to leave when Oz grabs her arm. If she ever wants to talk, she just thanks him for the notes again and leaves. Oz, noticing the position of the sun, hurries his walk towards the library. This whole thing, witnessed by Pete. Fucking Pete. (sighs) Fucking Pete, man. Oz, who is the best dude on Earth. (sighs) Back in the library, Giles tells them that whatever is doing this is a brutal, sadistic killer. Oz enters, unseen, and says present because while he may be a cold-blooded jelly donut his timing is impeccable jumping up from the table willow hugs him and says he's clear that whatever this is it's a kill in the day kind of monster a hundred percent oz looks instantly relieved as the others try to figure out what links the victims missing organs besides that (laughs) debbie oz points out that they both knew debbie jeff was in jazz band with her hid her music notebook once and mr platt well debbie was seeing him but wasn't the biggest fan. Oz says he just saw Debbie and she has a wicked black eye. So she went to kill Mr. Platt and he fought back. No, Buffy says Platt was dead in an instant. Didn't even have time to snuff out a cigarette. What if boyfriend Pete's the one doling out the punishment? Then Giles says they need to find them both immediately. Oz says Debbie was just in the quad. They split up, Faith and Giles going together and Buffy and Willow going together. Oz locks himself in the cage. Debbie, it turns out, is in the girls' room, trying to cover up her black eye. Buffy says it's tricky, covering a fresh shiner. You know what works? Don't get hit. Approaching her, Buffy asks what happened, and Debbie says nothing. It's nothing. Look, normally if Debbie wanted to play I've Got a Secret, Buffy would be all about it. But people are dying. Debbie says it's not his fault. He's not himself when he gets like that. He, she makes him crazy. He only does what he does because he loves her so much. Oh, Debbie. Pete. She's talking about Pete, right? Willow doesn't get it. Weren't Jeff and Platt killed by a wild animal? Buffy is going to guess Pete's not like other guys. Debbie starts to go. 
She doesn't want to talk about this. Didn't ask for their help. Yeah, well, when is she going to? Because if Pete kills her, it will be too late. (sighs) So all through this conversation, we see Debbie displaying classic battered woman behaviors, uh, defending her abuser, saying it's the love that makes him do these things. It's all her fault. All stuff that Pete has caused her to believe by telling her over and over. Poor baby. Poor Debbie. At the mansion, Angel continues to pull against his chains until eventually he pulls the sconce right off the wall and frees himself. Buffy wants to know where they can find Pete. She doesn't know. Buffy can tell she's lying. So what if she is? What's she going to do? Willow says, wrong question, as Buffy grabs Debbie. To her credit, though, Buffy doesn't hurt her, just forces her to look in the mirror. Mm -hmm. Look at her black eye. Why is she defending him? Anyone who truly loved her, they wouldn't do that to her. Debbie asks if they're going to take him somewhere. Maybe. Probably. That shady government agency that... (laughs) They might show up. Who knows? She couldn't do that. She loves him. She says everything. Great. Perfect. But while they live out their grim fairy tale? No. I mean, I, that was nice wordplay there, but. Uh, nice, nice wordplay, but not a good comparison. Two people are dead. Who's going to be next? Well, we go to Oz at that moment, so we know who Pete thinks is going to be next. Waiting for the moon to rise, Oz paces in his cage. Pete approaches and asks Oz just who he thinks he is touching his girl. Oz tries to tell him that this is a really bad time. (laughs) And Pete says he should have thought of that before he put the moves on Debbie. They talked, yeah, but it was moves free. Pete doesn't believe him. And Oz, he just keeps trying to warn him, telling him that when the sun goes down, something is going to happen that he probably won't believe. (laughs) After telling Oz he won't be alive to see the sun go down, Pete starts to transform. Okay, so maybe he will believe it. (laughs) Pete rushes the cage, tearing the door off and throwing Oz to the ground. That's when we go back to the bathroom and Debbie just repeating over and over that Pete does love her. Oh, Debbie. Buffy says they don't have time for this. She has to go. She has to find Pete. As Willow begins to help Debbie up, she says she thinks they broke her. No, she was broken before this. Yeah, Debbie Debbie is so tragic here because while this is all very exaggerated as everything on this show is, what is happening to Debbie is very real. Yeah. And the end of Debbie's story is very very real. real. Is very real. And it just it makes you both want to hug her and very gently shake her. Yes. Well, and and see, I like I like what Buffy did with her. Like, because you knew Buffy wasn't gonna hurt her because Debbie is broken yeah and just gently trying to and that's why i love buffy again because she has so many facets about how she handles things she does and she understands that certain situations call for certain Mm -hmm. methods and she's she recognized what debbie was going through and again it also kind of parallels the way that things happen with angel so she Mm -hmm. understands she understands that Debbie is hurting and that she needs to be handled in a certain way. Pete slams Oz down on the library table, breaking it. Rest in peace, library table. Oh, well, they'll find a new one. At least it's not the window this time. It is not the window this time. The two struggle and then Oz notices it's finally dark outside. Sundown, rules change. As does he. 
He morphs into his werewolf form and the fight continues. Drawing the attention of Buffy, Willow, Debbie, Giles, and Faith, all of whom were in the hall. (laughs) They rush in and Giles tells Buffy to grab the dark gun, which she does. But as she goes to shoot, Debbie, afraid she was going to shoot Pete, knocks into her, causing her to shoot the dart into Giles' butt. Poor Giles. Poor Giles. (laughs) It's a move that allows Oz to get away, running out of the library and down the hall. And his reaction is just so good, too, because he's like, like, what, bloody, bloody priceless, and then just... Down he goes. Yeah, he's just like, of course. And again, at least again, he's not knocked out. He's not. With another head injury. It's true. It's a butt injury. Yeah. And it's just a tranquilizer. (laughs) (laughs) Tossing the gun to Faith, Buffy tells her to get the wolf as she goes after Pete. We should mention that Oz does actually bite Pete. Yes. So had Pete survived this episode, he most likely would have become a werewolf. So it is probably best he did not survive this episode. Because yes. this guy does not have the temperament to be a responsible werewolf. Oh, no, no. He he would... He was already doing... No, he would have been the worst, meanest werewolf ever. And they probably... You know what? This is one of those episodes where... What was his name? Kane? Yeah. The werewolf hunter? Where we can call him in. Yeah, we, we, like would, have, this we one, would have been okay with that. This one? Yeah, yeah. You can take care of this one. Because he is a bastard. They also fight until Pete throws down a bookshelf, giving himself time to escape. He takes off down the hall and Buffy follows right until Pete goes out the window. Debbie, we should mention, left the library about the same time as Oz's escape. Oh, honey. Oz, who is still on the run with Faith and Willow in pursuit. You'll notice the werewolf suit here is a bit different than it was in phases. The suit will continue to evolve, I believe. I believe it looks different even when we see it like in season four. Yeah. Uh, The makeup artist had a habit of calling this version the (laughs) gay possum look. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) And I'm just like, what does that even mean? I read that. I read that when I was looking up my my notes this morning. Yeah. It's like, I don't I don't understand what that means, but I love it. No, we obviously did not get the creators of Manimal to no. to help with this suit. Pete makes it to the utility shed where Debbie is waiting. Seeing he's okay, she runs to him and hugs him. She was so worried. She almost shot him, but Debbie stopped her. Did she see? She stopped her. Aww. They have to get out of Sunnydale, though. Go somewhere far. Because she knows. Pete wants to know how she knows. Did Debbie run her big mouth? No, Debbie says she just knew. Somehow she knew. And Pete's guessing Debbie was all too happy to fill in the blanks. Throwing her to the ground, he says he's not surprised. What else should he expect from a waste of space like her? Seeing the blood, Buffy also heads out the window. (laughs) The poor janitor! I know. He's gonna have to climb up on those lockers to clean that blood off the wall. I know. This... This, I hope he gets a raise. Right. She follows the trail to the utility closet. As Willow and Faith catch up with Oz in the student lounge, Oz tackling Faith. The utility shed at first seems empty, quiet, until Buffy goes further in. That's when she sees Debbie dead. As she gets up from checking her prone form, Pete attacks. The two immediately begin to fight. Willow gets behind Oz and pulls his tail. <laughs> Causing him to come after her as she yells for Faith to get the gun. Oh. She does and fires Oz, spitting out a small whimper as he falls to the ground. (laughs) Pete and Buffy continue their struggle. Pete actually getting Buffy down on the ground, punching her continually as he says they're all the same. They being women. She manages to kick him, getting him back against a wall when the door opens and Angel enters. He goes straight for Pete, hitting him with his chains before wrapping them around his neck and snapping it. The threat disposed of, he turns to Buffy. Slowly, his vamp face goes away and he approaches, muttering her name as he drops to his knees, clinging to her, hugging her and crying. 
And silent tears roll down Buffy's face, and it's clear she doesn't know what to do, what to make of any of this. We go to the next day, and Buffy and the others talking. Willow says it's all over school, what happened with Debbie and Pete, except for the whole part where Pete was a monster. Oz heard Pete had like eight iced mochas and just lost it. (laughs) Buffy says that's better than the estrogen theory, because she heard he took all his mom's birth control pills. He didn't? Cordelia's confused. (laughs) He was a monster? Where has she been? (laughs) In her special place, which is why they love her. So then there were real killings. Pete wasn't under the influence of anything, just himself. Willow says they got a hold of Pete's lab books and he was pulling a Jekyll and Hyde kind of deal. Yeah, no, I beg to differ with that, but whatever, not important. I mean, in a way it was, but like, again, he, he read Jekyll and Hyde once and was like, oh, I can do this. Yeah. He was afraid Debbie would leave him. So he mixed this thing to become super macho. After a while, he didn't even need the potion. Seeing Scott in the distance, Buffy says she'll catch up with them later, and Cordelia laments the fact that she'll have deep thoughts for the rest of the day. (laughs) Going to sit beside Scott, Buffy tells him she doesn't know what to say. Well, that isn't going to sound dumb or completely cheesy. He tells her he's been best friends with both of them since before they started school. You think you know what's going on inside someone that if you care enough, but you don't, you can never know at all. It's a thought that takes us to our last scene. Another voiceover talks of wildness and calls from the depth of the forest. And Buffy sitting silently in the mansion and watching angels sleep. The end. Poor everybody in this episode. <sighs> yeah, that was a lot. This this episode, this episode was rough. Yeah, it was. I mean, it's good, but it was it was a yeah. lot. Yeah, there there was it was very heavy. All right. But at least at least next week we get Slayer Fest. So no, well, we get Slayer Fest. Oh, we get Slayer Fest in two weeks. Oh, two weeks. That's right. Two that's weeks right. we get Slayer Fest. Yes. Next week we get. Yes. Italy. Go Italy. to Italy. Italy. Yes. Fucking so, Stuart. Ah, so that's it for this week. Thank you all for listening. Make sure you join us next time when we have our first book club episode of the season covering Julie Kenner's Pax de Monica. Until then, you can check out our various social media channels, all of which will be listed in the show notes. And if you like the show and you want to let us know it, you can subscribe, rate and review wherever you listen to your podcasts or write to us directly at thewatchersdiaries at gmail.com. Bye! Bye!